Welcome to Journaling with Nature, the podcast for those who want to turn curiosity into wonder, a pencil sketch into a rabbit hole of discovery, a moment of stillness into a life full of joy. I'm your host, Bethan Burton. Let's open the pages of our nature journals and explore this world together. Hello, this is episode 141 and our first podcast episode for 2024. I hope you're well and that you have enjoyed some time off or a little break or something to spark you up ready for this year. The idea of a new year hasn't quite settled into my brain yet. How about you? Are you raring to go for this new year or does it take a little while to sink in for you? I'm actually quite excited about the creative possibilities and projects for this year. I've got lots coming up. I'm actually embarking on something really new, which is that I'm opening an online store selling prints and cards of my Nature Journal pages. It isn't up just yet, but it's almost ready and I'll let you know when that happens. But I'm also committing to be part of something called the Sanford and Surrounds Arts Trail and Open Studios. This is something that I've really wanted to be part of for as long as I've been living here in Sanford Valley, but I haven't been organized enough to do it. But this year I've jumped in and in fact, I'm speaking in my interview today with another artist who lives in the same valley as me, who is actually a longtime exhibitor at the Sanford Arts Trail and who I met recently when we had stalls side by side at a local art fair. My guest is Jenny Meek, and she loves exploring the shapes and forms of nature in her work, and especially focusing on the mediums of cyanotype printing and acrylic painting. In our conversation, Jenny talks all about her development as an artist, playing with different media and techniques, and how to build a body of work for an event such as the Sanford Arts Trail. Let's listen. Jenny, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. No problems. Interesting to talk to you. Yeah, well, we have a, a fun meeting story. And that story was that on my first ever creative art market, you were my next door neighbor. Yes, yes. No, it turned out very well, didn't we? We had a good day there or a good couple of days there, actually. So, no, it was interesting yeah. to um, meet you and see the work that you do as well. Yeah, so we can talk a little bit later about uh, the ways that our work crossed over. I think that was a really interesting yeah. thing that we can dive into a bit later. But to start off our conversation, I'd love to ask you about your creative history and what creativity meant to you when you were younger and all the ways that creativity has been part of your life from the beginning. Okay, I'd have to say I've always been interested in art. I did it at high school. My father was a photographer, so we used to go out with him when we were kids and he was taking photos. He was in a photographic club. And so I guess I learned fairly early on the rule of thirds and some of those general sort of design things that apply in art as well. 
continuing on past high school, I went and did a medical laboratory science degree. So I guess that's where my analytical nature in my artwork has come through. I guess in my younger years, I've always done something arty. I had a go at everything. So whether that be quilting, whether that be marbled paper, whether it be mosaics, you name it, I was always fiddling with something. And I guess when works get busy then art takes the back seat which it obviously did for me and I wasn't until probably my late 50s when I started getting interested in doing some painting I happened to meet a neighbour who was going to art classes and so I joined that and that was the way of getting out of work on time because Jenny had art classes so she couldn't she couldn't miss those um, <laughs> and <laughs> It's just, I guess, continued through that. I've been a member of Creative Sanford pretty well from the start through that connection and been actively participating in the Creative Sanford Art Trails. I I missed the first year, but I've been doing that ever since. So I've done, what are we now, 10 years? I've done nine years of the Art Trails. So I guess the Art Trails has given me a focus because each Art Trail I like to present a new body of work. So that means I'm busy exploring things, very keen bush person, love being outside in nature. We do big trips out west and up north and so I normally decide on a theme and then I go photographing everything. So where you're journaling, I'm photographing to get my inspirations and then come back and put those all together and to create a new body of work. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. I would love for you to tell a bit more about what the Arts Trail is and how that works in, and even a bit about Creative Sanford and um, yep. how the Arts Trail works each year. Yeah, yep. So Creative Sanford is a not-for-profit organisation supporting the local artists in the area and it spreads as far up as Mount Glorious and up to Ocean View, so covering the whole valley. It was started by a couple of the local well-known artists, Wendy Bailey, Sean, Helen Evans, those some names that sort of pop up straight away that were instigators in getting the art trail. So I think Creative Sanford started with sort of let's do something and let's do the let's do the art trail. I've played secretary for a while in that, so that gives you a fairly good understanding of behind the scenes. And I guess it's just a group that does other things outside the arts trails, like the art fair, for example. But They've had various like social functions and just get-togethers um, just to get all the artists together. And until you join something like that or see the art trails, you've just got no idea of what the talent is throughout the valley and it's amazing. There's yes. potters and there's weavers and there's all, you know, there's all sorts of different talents out there. So, yeah. So, so during the arts trail, this is one, uh, one month out of the year, every weekend yeah. of that month, artists in this valley where we both live uh, yeah. open their studios to people who want to have a look, people who value art and want to experience that. And so you can go from artist studio to artist studio over the, those weekends, uh, seeing the process, seeing the behind the scenes for various artists. Yeah. And I would love for, to hear about what that's like. I 
plan to do, I have wanted to do this for many, many years and I've never felt ready, but this year I'm going to do it, but I haven't done it yet. It's in June. And uh, so I'd love to hear from you about what it's like to open your studio and your process and your artistic uh, way of being to, to the world. Tell me about that. Yeah, no, it's an interesting experience putting yourself out there. I was encouraged to be joined by Helen Evans, who I was doing art classes with at the time. And not a lot of people have their own studios or an appropriate place to actually be able to display their work or have people, you know, come and visit them for parking reasons, you know, all sorts of things like that. So there are groups of people that do get together and they hold their exhibitions for the trails in some of the churches or luckily for me, I'm now currently involved in the Good Egg Gallery. So that's where I exhibit um, my work during the trails and throughout the rest of the year. When I first started as a participant in the trails, the one thing I found is actually quite scary, putting yourself out there. And then yes. when I saw all of the other people's work, I'm going, oh, my God, you know, like am I, am I um, qualified enough to have my work out there? But it's really encouraging and a boost for your confidence when people come and want to find out what's inspired you with your art, what your techniques are. And I think it's more rewarding the more you put yourself out there. So they love hearing about what you're doing. For example, my cyanotype process, which is a bit of a tricky one to sort of get your head around. The people love hearing about how that process works and what's involved in making those prints. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that now because when you were beside me at the art fair, um, your whole display was cyanotypes and all inspired by nature. And I would love for you to explain what a cyanotype is for those who might not know. And then we can talk about the process and what you go, how you go about creating one of those. Yep. Um, So cyanotype is actually an old photographic technique. It was used by architects way back to do what we call blueprints. The cyan is the the blue colour, hence cyanotype. Saying it's an old photographic sort of technique, it is using some of the principles of photography. So you've got watercolour paper, you can do it on anything. So you can do it on material, you can do it on anything that's porous. So that could be um, shells or material. Um, Quite a few people do it on material. I've just chosen to just stick with doing it on fairly heavy duty watercolour paper. So the process is mixing two chemicals together onto your paper and then applying some botanical plants I've normally pressed those first because you really want them to be quite flat so you get a crisper image and then putting it um, a piece of glass on top then you put it out into the sun so it's actually the UV light that activates the chemicals and produces the cyan blue color so then you have to get rid of the excess solution because if that was left on the paper that would continue to develop and your whole page would end up going the cyan blue color so you've actually got to wash off the excess solution and then there's a quick sort of developing process that you can just add some hydrogen peroxide to your last rinse solution and that develops your cyan really quickly so the 
chemicals start as a lime green colour and go through various stages and then you'll get to, after your washing, you'll get through to the cyan blue colour. So people ask, can you do it in any other different colours? But the answer to that is no, because it's actually the chemicals involved in producing that cyan colour. You can get things like solar fast dyes that work in a similar way. I've explored using those a little bit, but they not quite the same impact as the cyan blue colour and the white, which is a very powerful sort of combination of colours. Yes. So I have had, I got a kit from somewhere for, to play with this process with my son. And it, when we pulled out the paper, you had to be very careful not to expose it before you were yep. ready. And then, yep. so maybe the chemicals were pre set on the paper paper yes that would have been right and that's obviously just taking out one of the steps in the in the process you can do it rather than using the sun you can use a uv light as well so that will activate the paper and the chemicals on that paper the same way so what we didn't talk about there was what we put in under the glass and between between the glass and the paper so that's all my botanical plants that I have pressed so often driving down the side of the road and I see some really interesting shapes I'm really into the architecture of be it Mm. the plants or things I love the patterns in nature so I'm often saying stop I need to grab some of some of that and then I'll press it <laughs> I'll press it to make it easier to then use in the cyanotypes so yeah but seed heads are really amazing because it's actually not the it, not what it is it's actually the shape it's the shape mm. of it to create the image on the on the paper so you can obviously use things that aren't plants so we've used feathers we've used doilies we've used rubber bands so anything that creates an interesting negative image on the paper can be used in the cyanotype process and when i we were stall mates um I had a little stall I had a little section of my stall which was a nature journaling station and I had some uh some winged seeds there and you had said "Ooh, when you're finished can I have those you must have have, (laughs) you must have your eye set for things that you can use yeah all the time I've just (laughs) been for a walk down along the creek that I normally walk at and came back with a couple of different, there's a, a reedy grass thing that's got these really interesting when it goes into flower, uh, it comes up with these three spikes in the middle and I could just see that being used in a cyanotype. And then there's another plant that's got pink balls of flower so came home with a handful of goodies and got them pressed on the kitchen bench as we speak. <laughs> The beautiful thing about this, and I noticed it in all of your pieces, was that it seems like you can guide the creative process, but you're also working with nature and it's a bit of a surprise what is going to happen on the page. So there's this element of working like using nature in your piece, but also nature is doing its own work with the sun and the physical, the physicality of what you put there. Yeah, for sure. Most of my things are dried, but you can use green foliage as well. And if you actually use green foliage, sometimes the chemicals can react with the chlorophyll in your plant and create some slightly purple hues in it. So that creates another variable in in the equation. But yeah, it's all about the layering of the of the plants, and sometimes it doesn't work out as you 
as you planned, but sometimes you have some really like happy accidents and there's some amazing seed heads and things out there like water papyrus is one that I love to use because it's a, it's a ball and I can just squish it flat and make a fan or you can make a circle out of it. So you can do it in a couple of, use them in a couple of ways. So, and then I guess it's a matter of seeing those shapes and then working out how you want to position them on the page. But because I work, there's two cyanotype processes. There's a wet cyanotype process, which is the one that I use where I keep my solutions fairly wet or at the end I might spray it with water so the chemicals actually move around. They might puddle under some parts of your mm-hmm. plant that are touching the paper. I find that more interesting, gives more atmosphere and moodiness to the print or the is the process that you would have been using when you use the pre-prepared paper where you don't have that movement happening and it's just dry but you do get very crisp images in return so I guess it's a matter of working out you know which one which one you prefer so yeah but it's wet wet cyanotype process for me for sure interesting and yes we mentioned it before but I'd love to talk about it in depth we had this funny experience because I had my artworks out on the table and you noticed that some of the things that I had depicted on my pages you had also depicted but in such a different way so we had the same subject but out filtered through our own creative lens yeah yep the feather was I think the perfect example of that the cocky with the oranges and the black sort of beautiful pattern down it when you use the feathers in cyanotype you still can get those color variations coming through in the cyanotype some of the ones that I had on display there were just using plain white feathers so yes using the same subject material but using it in totally different ways and getting a very different product at the end of it yeah, it was amazing. There was a lot. I had also a piece that involved grasses and you had yeah. picked out some of the grasses that you also used in your cyanotype. I thought that was an amazing uh, an amazing thing to see one subject filtered through the eyes of two different artists. I thought that yeah. was really fun. Yeah, and I guess you'd see that sort of any time when you get somebody to draw something everybody's got their own slant on how they how they perceive that item and how they want to depict it so yeah and that's the good part isn't it that we all want to do something different with what nature provides us with 100% when I uh, have a nature journal workshop sometimes I present I display lots of things that are very similar and it's amazing to see how people interpret it in their own creative way Yeah. yeah yeah I'm wondering, you talked about the layering effect and the different and the simplification of a subject through cyanotype printing. I'm wondering, because you also showed me some photos of other works, large paintings that you'd done. Yeah. And they, I'm rem- if I recall correctly, they had some detailed sections, but a lot of sections that seemed to be influenced by the cyanotype process. And I'm wondering, they weren't cyanotypes, but I'm wondering if this printing process helps you build up textures for your other paintings. Yes, it does, but in a, in a different way. I think the more depth you can put into your paintings, the more interest it does. And I guess that's something I was always that real analytical painter when I first started painting again 10 odd years ago. I used to have that really fine brush and I wanted to mm-hmm. depict 
things <laughs> exactly as they were. So, yes, I, they used to joke in the art classes that Jenny had one hair in her brush to get the, <laughs> to get the, to get the fine detail. And I have to say I love the detail. I love the architecture and the detail in nature. You know, I'm currently doing some investigations into some paintings on dragonflies, which is going to be my one of my little oh, projects wow. for the art trails. And just to see all the details in the wings of those dragonflies is is just amazing. But then on there's the other side of me, and I always say this relates to me being a Gemini and the twins. I do like the abstract. <laughs> I do like the abstract as well. Yeah. So I guess what we're seeing in my paintings now, because all my art teachers said I needed to get looser and bolder and bigger, which mm-hmm. I've tried to do. I've probably got that mix of that abstracty part, but then you'll find the little detailed parts in there because I can't help myself. So whether that be <laughs> highlight whether that be highlighting with a pen or adding my little bits and pieces on my little micro beads or adding some gold leaf, for example, any of those other little details just to, you know, add a bit more interest into the into the painting. Yeah, so with the cyanotypes, you do add little dots of silver or gold yeah. and maybe yeah. little beads on there, and that really adds another layer of texture and um, interest to it, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And I guess you, you're further highlighting the aspects of whatever you had in your yes. print, like, for example, the parsley seeds. Each of those little seeds on the end is so clearly defined. When you do the cyanotype print, it's amazing how fine a detail you can end up on your on your print. And then just adding the beads in is just further highlighting those, you know, the little details that are actually there in nature. So, Yeah. And I how did you get into cyanotypes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did I get into cyanotypes? Um, I yeah. went, I'm quite keen on doing art galleries and other areas art trails. So whenever I'm visiting anywhere, I'll check up and see what's on. So I've done a fair bit, or not a fair bit, some of the um, Noosa art trails. So there's there's Noosa Art Trails and then there's the Sunshine Coast Art Trails as well. I know they had them down at Mount Tambourine, so they're all around. There's so many artists up the coast and so there was actually a lady that wasn't far from where my sister-in-law lives and I went to visit her gallery and saw that she had some classes going. So I did a one-day course on eco-dyeing and then yeah. I did a one-day course on cyanotypes and the wow. the visual impact of the cyanotype and the detail that you could get that really was something that I wanted to explore further I did yeah. like the eco dyeing but it's a much more muted color palette and the details sort of weren't there so that didn't really inspire mm-hmm. me as much as what the cyanotype process did so yeah it's really striking when you have a whole display of them and it's really cohesive. You know, you have all the pieces are, are really different but in the, in that they're the same colour and that they a lot of echo in the textures and the yeah. materials, um, it really makes a cohesive piece of work. Yep, that would have to be one of the things that I learned from Helen Evans when I first started doing the art trails. It's 
also about how you're presenting your work and how it hangs on the wall. And you'd have to say that presenting a body of work with a similar theme or a similar sized frame or a similar colour palette hangs together better than Mm. this little picture here of this tree and this bigger picture here of this still life. So that's something a take home from me. Helen obviously had done quite a few um, exhibitions in the Bahamas and obviously in her studio out at Cedar Creek. And also the idea of working on a body of work rather than just working on this and then leaving that and then exploring. You can actually get much more into a topic or a or a subject if you are just concentrating on that and doing like, you know, three or six or however many paintings of that one particular theme or size. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. So it sounds like you're going to be exploring uh, dragonflies in this upcoming one. And I'd love to hear about how you go about, because in some other ones you showed me it was birds generally was the theme. Yep. Um, I'd love to hear about how you go about developing it. Do you generate a whole lot of ideas on paper first? Do you go out for walks? You said you take photographs. I'd love to hear about the process for ideas collecting and how that development happens in in building a body of work so I'm probably not the best journaler and I know that there's lots of people that do lots of sketches and things before they do it I might have a rough little sketch with a bit of an idea on it I very much use my photographs in my work as my base of my work I've had the enjoyment of actually being out in nature and exploring that subject for example the dragonflies up in the northern territory and the kimberleys at the start and the end of the wet season are just amazing and so i just said i'm going to photograph as many as i can and then come back and have a look at them all so my process now is actually sorting out the different types of butterflies, which ones I like the pattern of their wings, which one I like the colours of. And then the other thing I like to do, even though my backgrounds and things might be a bit abstract, I still like to have them represented in where you'd normally find them. So mm. obviously the dragonflies are normally with the water lilies or, you know, around water because that's where they lay their eggs. So I've got all of these amazing pictures of water lilies, which I love as a subject matter as well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I tend to then put them into things, print out my photos, work out, you know, what view that I want to sort of have a look at. And then I guess it's a matter of working out how I want to present that so you know how do I want one big one or do I want three small ones what Mm -hmm. color are my water lilies Mm -hmm. um that sort of thing so that's where I'm up to at the moment and when you're painting uh do you use one specific medium do you jump between them do you have a favorite do you use oils I'm not into oils at all I'm just really an acrylic Mm -hmm. person but it's saying that I do call my work mixed media because I might have some pen work in there Mm -hmm. I might have some um, I use acrylic paints but I also might use acrylic inks as well I've got some lovely ones that have got a, a shimmer to them that I can see being used in the dragonfly wings yes 
Also, I can see some gold and silver leaf finding a place in amongst those <laughs> dra- dragonfly wings as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you say that art's been part of your life for a really long time and I'm wondering if nature as a theme has always been there or is that something you came to more later on? Tell me about your connection with nature from through your life. I think my connection with nature has always been there. I grew up in a small country town in South Australia. We were right next to the River Murray. We had the beautiful big red gums. We had the, um, you know, the, all the beautiful parrots and things around. So, and my father being keen on the photography, sort of we were out in, in it. We were very keen campers and I guess I've just sort of continued that. We're also very keen bird watchers and I think if you've got an interest in one thing out in nature, that will then make you much more aware of what else is out there. So something you'll catch your eye when we're out bird watching and you'll turn around to have a look at it, but it's not actually a bird, it's actually a leaf that's falling down or it's actually a butterfly, Mm. something that's created that sort of movement. So I think having an interest in one thing, doesn't matter what it is, will let you then open up your mind to everything else that's out there and you'll be noticing these things that maybe other people sort of don't don't notice so but yeah it's an across the board sort of thing it's not only the you know the butterflies and the and the birds and the flowers it's actually the landscape and it's the trees and it's the whole the whole box and dice what's the sky doing you know it's it's the whole lot and I guess I'm probably happiest out you know camping and painting (laughs) that's beautiful do you take your art stuff outdoors with you if you're camping it's the first thing I pack yeah (laughs) what does your outdoor kit look like I tend to take something that I've prepared to to do I find that easier than just going, or I'm out here with a blank canvas, like what do Mm -hmm, I do? mm -hmm. So I like to have done some homework. Okay, what am I going to paint? I would just take my selection of acrylic paints, depending on how long we're going for, and that it's how big the canvas might be. (laughs) Um, Sometimes I think I'm going to get more done than I Yes. That I do, and other times I just know that if I didn't have something to do when I'm out there, I'd go, oh, why didn't I bring my paints? So, <laughs> yeah, and I think it's just a matter of, you know, sitting sitting out there and just painting because you're just out in the environment mm-hmm. enjoying all of that and doing something that, you know, that I love to do. I mean, there is the plein air painting experience you know and the last time I think I was painting outside I had the noisy miners pooping on my painting just to add <laughs> just to add some extra texture to, <laughs> to my painting you incorporate that in <laughs> slightly rub that out so I love that you mentioned that you talked about when you have an eye for nature it tunes you in a, in a way that you might not otherwise be and that you know nature exists you might love birds you might love dragonflies but nature exists in its entirety and animals exist with a background of all these incredibly detailed and captivating things and when you go out and you have this mindset of like oh what can I see out here and I think that nature journaling which is what this podcast is all about is yep. is exactly that mindset is like oh this world is amazing and I'm ready to yep. be amazed and be out there and it sounds like yep. you have exactly that mindset 
Yeah. And I guess um, if I can use bird watching as the analogy, you're looking for a bird, but if you know what's going on with that bird, you might be looking at a certain level. So this might be a ground dweller or it might be one in the scrubby little bushes. And so that would be the same as, well, I know that won't be flowering now. Yes. This will be flowering and that's flowering. So that's why this bird's around. So it all just amazingly interweaves together and changes over the season. So you can be in the same place throughout 12 months and it can look totally different. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the most joyful things is being in one place and watching the transformation through yeah. through the year. We've been four or five times now up to the Kimberleys and oh, we're wow. normally there in the dry season and I love the boab trees, mm. the shape of them and everything, but we're always seeing them with no leaves on. This time we went up there at the very end of the wet season and instead of the grass, you know, no grass on the ground, they've all died down, the grass was up and the boab trees had all of their leaves on and looked so, so different to what I'm used to seeing them as. But you sort of lost some of that architecture in amongst their branches as well. So, yeah, that was a total, total contrast. Amazing. And at at home, what does your, what does nature look like when you step outside? Do you have a garden? Do you visit nature while you're walking? We have a garden um, 360 degrees around the house. Wow. Growing lots of weeds at the moment after all of that. <laughs> They're great for cyanotyping, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Not nut grass though. <laughs> we are sort of immersed in nature because we've got a family of wallabies that come oh, and wow. eat on our side lawn. So I can lie in bed some mornings and watch the wallabies feeding on the lawn. On another lawn, we've got a swamp wallaby that's just come with her baby, so they're fairly new to our area. We've got water dragons that visit my pond. We reasonably regularly see koalas. Wow, And the butterflies and the dragonflies are all around so I think I'm pretty immersed (laughs) when I look out my front door I think I'm pretty immersed in it so yeah and I guess when COVID was on and those people had to isolate in their little units I just felt Mm -hmm. felt so sorry for them thinking like I'm just here just enjoying all of the butterflies and the yeah and the peace and quiet and nature sort of you know at at its best and had no reason to really leave the place which was which is good rather than being forced to be inside yeah yes we were very much the same we have some space around us and nature uh surrounding and felt very lucky and in contrast to a lot of people had so much space that we we didn't feel claustrophobic at all and and but did recognize the privilege and the and that 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 was a very lucky position Mm. to be in Mm. yeah for sure yeah you talked a little about it and i'd love to hear you talk about it a bit more about how your work has changed over time. So it sounds like creativity has been part of your life, dipping into different media and experimenting. And it sounds like you've gone from very tight to deliberately expanding that into more looseness. I'd love to hear that process of change as an artist in particular. It's been a challenge, Mm. but it's something through the art trails and having something like that 
to work towards, I think has been really motivating. So good to be able to try some different ways of depicting a subject or just presenting sort of a different subject matter. I would say that my earlier paintings were very realistic, mm-hmm. you know, almost to the extent of, of photographic because I was very keen on getting that that detail. I'd say what hasn't changed about my art is the colour palette that I mm. use, very much into the brightest sort of colour palettes. And I guess that's because I don't actually like brown. Really? That's interesting. I Brown is one of my favourite, favourite colours. I also yeah. really do love bold colours, but that's such an interesting observation that brown isn't your favourite. Not to not to paint with and not to include. I'm happy to put the reds and the oranges yeah. and things in, but just brown is just not my favourite, not my favourite colour. Do you think your choice of medium for um, using acrylics, because acrylics does give a really punchy, bold colour, colour in general do you think that's part of the choice for that medium yes and no I think it's because I don't like the smell of terps that you use with (laughs) with oils they work quite differently so Mm. acrylics dry quite quickly and oils uh, take much longer to dry admittedly you can blend much more with Mm. oils than you can with acrylics I'd have to say I can be very, very patient and do all of that really fine detail, but there's an impatient side to me as well and I think I'd find the fact that the oils weren't drying quite frustrating. Mm, So mm -hmm. it's like everything, there's so many different techniques and different mediums and things out there. I mean, I go into Eckersley's or a stationery shop and I'm in heaven because I want all of of those pens or all those watercolours (laughs) or all all of those things. But to really get to know the medium that you're working with, you've got to sort of stay with it. And I enjoy painting with acrylics. I enjoy the cyanotype process and I've, you know, kept experimenting and, and playing with it. So I think while I'd love to have a go at everything, I think there's a part of me that wants to say, well, let's try and develop your skill set in, in this one area. I love watercolours as well, so I have dabbled with some watercolours, but I guess it's the acrylics that, that works best for me. Yeah, yeah, it's an age-old question, isn't it, that do you go wide or deep? And I think going deep with one medium can bring a lot of richness to your experience. Yeah, yeah, and I mean there's so many different tips and tricks that you learn along the way and even different art teachers that I've had over the time, they all use acrylics but they all use it in such different ways mm. as well. So there's, mm. you know, even with the one medium, there's still lots to lots to learn about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm wondering, you've t- talked about your dad as a creative influence or an inspiration that creativity can be part of your everyday. Yeah. Uh, you've mentioned some art teachers and some members of um, Creative Sanford. I'm wondering about yeah. your creative influences, the people who who inspire you or motivate you, the people, they might be famous artists or it might be just local people who, who motivate you. I'm wondering about your creative influences and who they are. I probably don't have any strong ones out there. There'll be one picture or a painting that I just like, I love that and I want to develop what they've done. So it's more about seeing little bits that I 
like from a lot of different artists rather than sort of following, you know, one or two. I mean, there's lots of people's work out there that I like, but there's no one that's sort of really been, oh, they're my, you know, they're my yeah. total sort of inspiration. Yeah. I think you just have to spend some time on Pinterest and everybody, yeah. <laughs> everybody, you know, is throwing their hat in the ring there and yeah. you've got so much inspiration with yes. what everybody else is doing. So, yeah. Yes, and yeah. again, it's that whole thing of filtering it through your own creative lens because you can say, yeah. oh, that's an interest. You might get inspired by someone's technique on Pinterest and then you take it and you go in your own direction with, inspired yeah. by that. It's like a little lead that takes you on your own journey. Yeah, and I guess that's what sort of happened with the cyanotypes and the mm. embellishing that I've done because I was embellishing some of my acrylic paintings with the beads and adding texture in it like that. That was sort of an obvious thing to add them to the cyanotypes. Yes. So I guess I've quite liked and I've done various workshops and things on different mixed media and all sorts of things, but I guess I'm a bit, you know, like to mix them up and try and say, well, that doesn't really need to, you know, like because a lot of the textures that I learnt were learnt in a watercolour course with mm. mixed media mm -hmm. and then I've taken those and put them into the acrylics and then taken those and put them into exactly. the into the cyanotypes so yeah but it can just be one tiny little thing that just sets yes. you off down a little path that you want to explore more yes that's so exciting I wonder what your creative space looks like do you have um do you do it on the kitchen table do you have a special dedicated space or a room to yourself I have a little studio, so the idea with that was getting all my painting stuff out of the house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, when I'm working on some big ones, I do do them down there because I like to work on an easel. Mm -hmm. The cyanotype process, I need to have a big flat bench to work on and I need space outside to put my tables in the sun and my little studio is not really conducive for that so yep it's the kitchen table <laughs> the kitchen yep. table and the and the lounge table that um I end up doing it and it's easier to do the the framing and things um up here as as well probably don't use my studio as much as I should but that's one of my 2024 resolutions is to get down there and yeah. spend more time spend more time in in there and just get being creative and painting yeah and when you're creating are you cluttered are you messy or are you very fastidious and keep things tidy what's your space like in that way it depends sometimes I'm really fastidious other times I'm very very messy yeah I'll yeah. show you what's behind this computer because <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking <laughs> I wish I could turn my computer around for you because I'm the I'm 100% always messy um right. but that's my process and it works for me <laughs> it's really interesting because you didn't strike me as being really? somebody that would be like that just from <laughs> the presentation of your work oh yeah yeah how neat and and tidy um that all was I just thought no this is somebody that's so well organized <laughs> I, feel, I feel better now thank you <laughs> <laughs> and I'm wondering do you do you have a rhythm to your creative process like do you work during work hours or do you just go out in the evening or do you go out when do you work whenever creativity strikes or just whenever there's a gap in the schedule 
I'm retired, so I've pretty much got my hours to myself. Obviously, I've got you know things things to do. It's actually more about have I got my art mojo? Yeah, yeah. I can lose my art mojo, um, yeah. and then to refind it. Mm. I like to do something new and interesting and maybe leave some of those unfinished projects that I should have been finishing. And then once I've got my mojo back and I'm on a roll, then I'll go back and finish those other ones off. So can be a bit backwards, sort of forwards, but, yeah, sometimes you just really I'm just not into not in the right frame of mind to paint yeah. and there's no point in even sort of Pushing trying it. to do it. Mm, mm. But once I'm on a roll, I'm on a roll. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the momentum like, builds yeah, when you're yeah, when you're doing yeah. it. It builds in yeah. itself, doesn't Self, it? Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. And so, you know, I've had I've actually had a sinus infection for the last couple of weeks and that's really zapped my energy. Yes, of course. And then now I'm feeling like I've nearly got my energy back. I'm going, right, you know, they want something to put in the in the trails booklet by the 24th mm-hmm. of February, which isn't that long away. And so I thought, that's it, I'm going to get stuck into it. And yes. I have, I've pulled out the dragonflies because I haven't painted dragonflies before. So that's where my something new and interesting is. And yes. I'm having a play around with those at the moment. So, yeah. That's so good. I'm thinking to finish off, we could talk about your creative goals. And I guess that for this year, I th- it sounds like the trail really gives you a structure to your creative goals because it's in the middle of the year and it's something new. I'm wondering about yep. your creative goals for this upcoming year. I think probably more of the same. And mm-hmm. yes, you're right. The art trails do give me a big focus and a timeline to work towards. But in saying that, that's a really good thing because I love, Absolutely. you know, exploring new things and love creating a new body of work to present at the art trails. So, yeah, um, as far as specific goals, I just like to keep challenging myself. Mm. I think if you're doing the same thing and not sort of really extending yourself, that's probably a little bit boring whereas I'm a bit of a goal not a, I'm a goal getter but I like to I like to do something sort of new and you know there's lots of inspiration out there you see other people's work you'd like to try that idea or something so it doesn't actually take much to um, get inspired to do Spark something you yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just need the energy at the right time to to yeah. do it so yeah yeah yeah. Amazing. I'm so excited yeah. to see what comes of this um, this new body of work that you're developing. Yeah. I can't wait to yeah. see it at the trail and I'm really happy that I got the chance to chat with you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. No problems. Thanks very much for having me, Bethan. It's been really um, interesting to talk to you. So, yep, and we'll see what you produce for the art trails as well. I'm so I'm nervous but excited. It's going to be really fun, I'm sure. Yeah, but you've, you've already done that first step of putting yourself out there in front of people in that different sort of capacity to what you had been. So I think it's all about getting confidence in yourself and it's really rewarding to talk to people about your work. I think you'll find that as a big plus coming out of the art trails. So even if it's 
you know, people buying your work, it's like, oh, you've really changed since last time or I'm really liking where your new work's sort of going. So people get to know you and want to, you know, are keen to see what you're doing. So Yeah, yeah. and it's fun. I, I found this at the uh, the art fair, which was that fair. people who yeah. stopped at my stall, and I'm guessing with yours as well, are people yeah. who love nature and have their own nature yeah. stories and sharing nature stories is such a fun, rewarding thing for me. So I'm looking so, forward to yeah. that as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So, yep, time's a ticket. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. go. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Bethan. See ya. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jenny. It was such a joy to meet her at the Arts Fair recently. We noticed straight away that our work had a similar theme and we connected over that and we had lots of chats in between serving customers at the stalls. Her cyanotype prints were really captivating and I actually have one in my living room now which I bought from her at the fair which I'm really happy to see every day. In our conversation I really enjoyed listening to Jenny talk about the way that she sees nature, not just as an isolated subject, like a dragonfly, but with all the interest and beauty of what surrounds that animal and how it works as a whole. I'll put some links in the show notes for this episode to Creative Sanford, which is the group that organises the Arts Trail each year. And if you're in Brisbane, please come along. Studios will be open every weekend through the month of June. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. 